Take care, everyone. Welcome to chapter ten, part four, and we're carrying on from last week. We've got Chris with us today, and Priyank.、Uh, Mike can't be with us today, but he's here in spirit, I'm sure.、Um, so yes, last week we had Lomakunda being berated for his eating habits and reliance, and he's decided to go on a fast. Uh, with doubled zest, as we begin this part of the chapter, so he's full of vigor and ready to go. He's on his fast, his twenty-four hour fast, and he's now exceeding, I believe, the twenty-four hour fast and awaiting for the first meal, which we know comes in、uh, their living quarters at midday.、Um, and I love this、um, initial vigor. Thing. I feel like it's a very relatable thing on the path. You know, when you first start doing something, you go, "Yes, gonna do it!" And you go all in, and it's all this energy. You know, it's <laughs> like, can can we sustain this? <laughs> you know,、um, but he tried, and yes, Chris, yeah, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but when I do fasting, sometimes the hardest part is a just doing it, saying, "Okay." Sometimes you're going to do it because we're in such habits of waking up, maybe breaking the fast, or you know, maybe just wait until lunch or do, you know, whatever you do. We're in such habits of eating, you know. Sometimes that's the hardest bit. But once my body gets into it, it finds it easier and easier. And not not always. Sometimes it is pretty tough.、Um, <clears throat> you know, it can be challenging. But for the most part, if I wake up in the morning time, I'm usually not struck with this pang of hunger. Or、whatever might come with it, and I find that I can roll it through until midday. So,、um, whenever I first talked about fasting to someone very close to me, the response was, you know, a rebuttal. It was uproar. You know, why would you want to fast? You know, I'm skinny enough as it is. You know, do you really, <laughs> I really want to go and do fasting?、Um, but it's such a vital part of of our practice and everything. I think with practice comes, you know, becomes easier and easier. So just when I when I see this, you know, I awaited the following midday. I thought he, you know, Yogananda could probably do this for a lot longer, you know, and he's probably well practiced. So for him, it's I imagine a bit of a walk in the park. But、um, yeah, it just reminded me of my own little little journey when I started doing the fasting and how it went for me. I I fast once a week, as I think I've probably told both of you, and today happens to fall on that day. So fasting today, as we speak,、um, yeah, and I share your、uh, experiences, Chris. Some most days are because I've been doing it for over ten years now. Most、uh, most days are pretty. I don't even feel that I'm missing anything,、uh, but some days are more challenging.、Um, don't know how how why that becomes, but that's how it is. But you know, what Chris, you said、uh, you can now you can do it till midday. Is that like after the whole day and then the midday the next day? You mean? Yeah, yeah, it almost becomes yeah, two 40, days, forty hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Again, it's quite cool. Again,、yeah. people give me give me odd looks. I stayed with a couple、uh, friends of mine. They're like, "Have you eaten today?" It's like,、uh, "Dinner time." No, no, no. And then the next day came. It's like, have you, "Have you eaten yet?" And I hadn't really thought about it, but to them, it was this wildly <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> 
one uh, one of the I was speaking to someone at the center and they know one of the monks or one of the training monks and um and he was she was telling me that he um he was doing a four day fast like a complete fast no water four days and um she was saying that they've got um Guruji's given a special uh, breathing and meditation technique for fasting. Uh, I'm yet to uncover that, but uh, apparently there it's there for the really like hardcore fasts. But yeah, mm. not to deviate too much, but isn't there? Guruji went to see a lady whose name's escaping me. Girivala. 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 The one, Eastern... the lady who never eats. Yeah, Come yeah, on. she. I think she was given that um, ability. We're going to go into it in the autobiography of Yogi, but that was through, um, through a technique, wasn't it, that she was given, I think through, was it through Pranayama? It's been a while since I've read that chapter, actually. But yeah, mm. it just shows that maybe it is possible to live without this, you know, material substance. But it's a, it's a very interesting subject, one for maybe future generations to un unveil. Mm. I don't know if you've noticed, but like the more you fast, the more that kind of consciousness becomes like in the brain, doesn't it? It's like actually the, the food is not su such a big, you know, point of reliability, but you're right. You know, other people around you just cannot comprehend it sometimes. Um, I'm like you, Chris. I also get the comments because I also have a very slim body. It's like, what? You're not eating? It's like, oh, no, <laughs> actually. And that's great. Um but yeah, it's a it's a great practice if you know you're able to do it. Um, so yes, back to the chapter. So um, Wakanda is fasting, and he's waiting for Diana G because um, he's been away and he's coming back, and he gets told by Jitendra that when uh, Diana G arrives, then they will eat their food. But he says that his train is late, and Guruji describes this as devastating news. <laughs> kind of relatable, you know, you've been fasting. I know some mornings when I wake up after a fast, you know, I'm just you know, absolutely ravenous. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty actually, you know, like miming, shoveling the food in. I mean, it can be like that sometimes. So, yeah, I can imagine how devastating it would be to be told, no, you're not allowed yet. Obviously, we're going to unpack this a little bit with what Yogananda mm. or Young Makunda is going through in this moment. Now he's saying, um, you know, he, he thought this was devastating news. He was looking forward to, to eating. And maybe he was simply planning to eat. So then that planning to eat had triggered the digestive juices. And then actually had the anticipation of that meant that it was devastating, as opposed to maybe just having set his mind and using his willpower mm. going through this entire day again or doing a three-day fast or something. Mm. Maybe that anticipation, that that mental anticipation really caused this devastating, this news to be devastating. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, isn't it? Yeah, it's cool. true, because if you've got your mindset that you're not eating today, it's like, okay, that's that then. Um, yeah, I'm also curious about whether the late train was quote-unquote coincidence i'm not <laughs> sure i believe anything is a coincidence anymore um <laughs> but uh or if dianandra g did it on purpose or if it was by god's hand 
it's a point of curiosity but uh I, in any case the train is late and they have to wait and that rhymed and um <laughs> and that wasn't what, planned at all was it Lawrence? that wasn't planned at all no <laughs> Emphasize rhyme. <laughs> oh, if only I was that organized. Um, so yeah, not only is it devastating enough that uh, the train is late and he can't eat yet, but also they're getting ready for the Swami to arrive. So they're you know they're making all this lovely food in preparation, and it's all um, you know aromas of filling the air and. He says, nothing else offering what could be swallowed except my pride in yesterday's fast. Um, and it just reminds me, like, there's so much temptation, isn't there, in general in the world, but particularly when you're fasting. Um, I often uh, fast on, actually on a Friday is my usual day. I'm not fasting today, but usually I fast on a Friday. And that's a work day as well for me. And, you know, people are having their lunch and things and I'm not usually tempted but there, there is there is so much temptation isn't there to just kind of reach reach for the food um yeah Chris I think I think what this is highlighting to me is the biggest temptation of eating food apart from your hunger of course but is the social aspect of it is the actual interaction of uh -huh. are, we, are we eating today are we sitting down to break bread you know with my family you know we've got plans or we need we're going to be in this social group you have to go out for, for x meal or you know it's going to be awkward for somebody if you don't do it you know these kind of conversations do crop up especially you know if you're in a relationship you know it's part and parcel of maybe cohabitating uh and you know being so and i find over the years that if anything <laughs> anything has caused a bit of you know um friction or some kind of challenge to overcome it's more of that social um orderliness that you have to establish in order to continue with your practice and this has obviously come out as a surprise to Guruji which is life isn't it you know something happens on the day you know maybe you've got to react and Guruji is um is sharing this moment in his life mm. definitely true about the temptations um especially in this age I think it's probably worse in this age than most other times in the recent past because there's firstly there's not only a shop in every like street corner but um mm -hmm. there's also little stalls everywhere and the the one thing they sell is things in like shiny wrappers that are extremely tasty and salty and all the things that we all love to taste so i think um it's quite difficult isn't it um right now in this in this mm -hmm. uh, time that we're living to to be disciplined um whereas before i can imagine dinner time was dinner time you might have a lunch like that you may take to work but there's no like stuff in between that you could just you know no vending machines and things like that uh, that are so prominent now but um i find that um as 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 you guys mentioned it's all in the mind isn't it like um in the previous um section uh then Ananda told uh Makunda like um if ever you feel hungry do not mention it and Chris and I discussed it this in the last um episode and it was like we're essentially saying that um it's a 
negative affirmation, isn't it? Which also exists, like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I can't live without food, and then it becomes true. So Dayananda's giving him the, the little clue there, and that was one of the big lessons here, like, um, don't affirm negative things or things that you don't want to happen or you don't think you can change, you know, just better to be silent or say the opposite thing. I'm not mm. hungry, I'm a master of my palate, and, you know, all the all the good stuff such as that. Yeah. Much easier though to do that when you're fasting because when you're fasting, you like uh, your mindset is that, isn't it? You're trying to get into the thing, the the philosophy of oh, you know, food doesn't sustain me, God sustains mm. me. So that's like a, well, it should be a background mantra for you whilst fasting. So then when you're passing that sweet wrapper, you know that's not an option for you today. So there's literally no temptation because you've set your mind to not conceiving that so i feel like it's a very powerful thing to fast and then that then kind of spills over into the days when you're not fasting but you don't want to eat that stuff mm, yeah and you know especially with eating the right foods as well there is that extra layer of temptation is all around us isn't it foods that we know um aren't really good for the body and it's everywhere and i think yeah using those affirmations as well would be really really helpful I want to know what are the what what are Priyank's affirmations, the most powerful affirmations that he uses. I I think I told you, didn't I? But uh, as, as I say, food um, and fasting. I've been doing it so long that it's not really a challenge for me. But um, I think I told you that I um, I criticize <laughs> criticize a lot, and I remember recently um, there was a reading that I did about criticism uh, at the center. And uh, it was essentially saying rather than criticize, uh, do suggestion. And the power of suggestion is more powerful than the critic. Um, so, but anyway, I'm trying to stop criticizing. And um, and uh, the affirmation that I use is as I radiate, radiate sympathy and goodwill to others, I open the channel for God's love to come to me. And divine love is the magnet that attracts all blessedness, um, which is a really nice, nice one because it also it actually does like the complete opposite of criticism. Um, it also makes you see the best qualities in the person that you're about to criticize, you know, which is really nice because it goes beyond just stopping you from criticizing, but thinking about all good and beneficial things. Mm. And you have such a pure loving heart, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. doing. <laughs> course but still you letting it flow through so yeah very sweet um kind of feels weird to go back to the chapter now but we're gonna have to (laughs) (laughs) off we go um so yes um it's just been told this devastating news and then guruji uh implores to god and says lord hasten the train so he's obviously not very happy about the fact that he's going to have to carry on with his fast. Um, and he, well, first, I just want to highlight this point. I feel like this is also very relatable in many different circumstances. I feel like, I know I've certainly been there where I thought, well, you know, God, you know, such, such, even, you know, hasten the train or make the train late, you know, small things like this. And, um, 
Sometimes he listens and sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> but in this case, um, he doesn't listen. Or he, do or he listens, but doesn't give Mukunda what he wants. Um, and Guruji says that he basically thinks that God uh, didn't have a hand in this interdiction by which he was late. Um, anyway, but the, the clock went on and it became night, I believe, as darkness descended. Mm -hmm. And finally, in the nighttime, in the darkness, Dayanandaji comes through the door and Guruji says, my greeting was one of sheer joy. And I, <laughs> I laugh so much when I read this because <laughs> it's like Guruji is not really happy to see him, but it's more like <laughs> his presence brings the prospect of food. <laughs> Ulterior motives, eh? Yeah, right. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Let's take, let's take your jacket Indeed. off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just cracked me up when I read it. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's understandable as well, isn't it? Um, but then, much to his dismay, Jitendra, the omen of bad news, again, he calls him the bird of ill omen. Um, says that uh, the Swami is going to bathe and meditate before they eat. And Priyank actually found, um, no, you didn't find, but you made a comment about this. I wonder if you could share it with us. Yeah, so, the, so this is, so he's basically showering essentially and cleansing, physically cleansing himself because he's been out and about and brought, he, he probably was a Brahmin by birth, and um, I'm get, um, it's an educated guess, shall we say, that he was, uh, especially in those times, uh, to be in that kind of a position. Uh, you'd have to have been um, that in that caste or in that subsect. But now it's uh, slightly different now. Now um, castes have, uh, have taken less of a importance in this kind of field like uh, Guruji talks about castes in, in the Bhagavad Gita being not hereditary but uh, you know what qualities do we have and that determines what caste we belong to and Brahmin caste is uh, you know one of contemplative and spiritual qualities and you know or goodness and things like that so um, he was probably a Brahmin and he mentions that um, he you know he a bit later he mentions that um, he has certain injunctions where it, um, he has to basically um, do various rituals before um, before doing certain things. Um, before eating, uh, you'd, you'd, uh, especially in the morning, you wouldn't think of eating before first having a shower. Um, and this is also apparently true because of when um, when he goes out and in the next section he he calls it um the grossness doesn't he when he's been out um and with the grossness of the essentially the material world and uh, being rubbing shoulders with whoever it impacts him essentially and um he's he calls it shastric rules for monks of my particular order and he calls them heterogeneous vibrations of the worldly people so um it's must be true that who you the company you keep um or the environment that you're in has an impact on some spiritual side you know some your aura or your psyche um your emotions 
physically even perhaps as well so he's basically trying to undo that because he's entering his now own home and he's um essentially trying to reset himself so that's what he's doing and he said that interesting that he also said meditation as well it wasn't just a shower nowadays it's just shower but uh, he's going to meditate as well which is pretty cool and this applies for all types of baths uh Priyank, i believe you maybe know more about this than um, than i do then um <clears throat> like fire baths air baths not just water baths or showers but yeah. um different yeah. for different uh Purposes. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I was, you know, coming in very green behind the ears, as we say, you know, with the Indian sort of culture and yogic culture, Hindu culture practices. Yeah. Uh, when I was in the SRF uh, center in London, first when I saw fire and people sort of taking, taking in the fire and sort of waving it over their head and. It just struck me. I was like, "Wow, yeah, what's what's going on there?" And I, I went away and read a, a little bit about it. But um, it's fascinating to me that we can actually cleanse our energies by having these different types of baths. Um, you might want to stand in strong winds for ten minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes. You know, if you're you've got certain disposition and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it's it's a good one to pick up. I'm glad to, I'm glad you were able to <clears throat> we're able to talk about that today it's something that isn't really in the conversation certainly in the west mm. i love also how that you highlighted this Priyank. you know how he says not only is he going to wash his body but also going to meditate um this is personally something i've been practicing for quite a while now um i found it really helpful because for me it's like uh, often i'll come home from work and then shower and or meditate and it's like i put the soul first before I feed the body and I love that you know this is kind of happening here you know he's taking care of the body but he's also washing his mind in the waters of meditation right and, and um, getting in touch in tune with, with the soul and with God um, so yeah it's really wonderful and it's um, it's a lovely thing to practice if we can if our schedules allow it um, so, yes, Guruji gets this news. And uh, I'm going to read this next bit out because it's so dramatic. I love it. It says, I was in near collapse. My young stomach, new to deprivation, protested with gnawing vigor. Pictures I had seen of famine victims passed wraith-like before me. The next bannerous death from starvation is due at once to this hermitage, I thought. <laughs> it's so it's so full of imagery isn't it and it's just uh, it has the kind of like a childlike quality to it you know like when uh, I don't know if you ever had this but when you lived with your parents and dinner was late and suddenly you know you thought the whole world was about to end because <laughs> you were so hungry kind of reminds mm. me of that mm. his 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 reactions uh sound comical now but you sense that there's some he was actually going through some physical turmoil, like, you know, when your stomach's like turning and there's like actual, there's an actual physical pain sometimes when you're hungry. And obviously if you're not eating for um, many days, like the hungry people in the world, and then that's definitely true. But even for Makunda, who's never been used to, you know, missing a meal, essentially, he's 
1883 we discussed last time even the breakfasts were colossal in in his household probably but um in interestingly his sisters even though they had virtually the same upbringing and makunda was far far more spiritual shall we say than his sisters um his sisters would have fasted because um women undertake various fasts um, and it's different for different parts of india but it's part uh, it's ingrained in their culture so even if they're not doing it for spiritual reasons for example there's a there's a jayaparvati rat um, which um, which young girls do and it's essentially they they put a spin they put on it as girls you should fast during these five uh, five nights or seven nights i can't remember exactly the number um and then during that time you can't have salt you can only have fruits um and then you can't eat at certain times and then you can only eat if there's if the the moon is showing so if there's cl- if there's clouds you can't can't eat so you, the girls are, the young girls are looking at the sky to wait to when they can break their fast so different parts of india have got these different um little cultural very cute little elements but obviously the underlying thing is the spiritual benefits of fasting but they embed it in the culture through uh, you know various uh, various tales and uh, stories for gods um, and the relevance of it and the grace that you can the, you can get in your life just by doing the, the, the these fasts so his sisters probably would have done these these things but not so much him and his mum definitely would have mm. so my wife she used to do that fast before we got married um and then now she does it she's put a spin on it so now she does the same fast but it's for the health of her me my, um, the health of her husband or her spouse or the nearest and loved one so she does the same thing so she's put her own spin on it but essentially it's achieving the same thing i.e self self-mastery and i equally have now joined that fast usually the only girls that do it but because my wife's doing it i've i've joined her so i said uh, it's for your own your health that i'm doing it so uh, you use whatever you <laughs> use whatever you can to uh to conquer this uh this plane Mm, that's sweet. <laughs> Love that. It's lovely. Um, unfortunately, Guruji didn't have anyone to fast for him on this <laughs> occasion. He was alone in his fast, potentially, um, that we know of. And he says that, you know, the impending doom uh, was averted at nine o'clock. So I assumed that, you know, the Swami came down at nine and they had their meal. And Guruji describes it as ambrosial summons. In memory, that evening meal is vivid as one of life's perfect hours. And I really love this part because I just had a little moment of reflection. I was thinking, you know, even when Guruji wrote this book, he was still thinking of that time as one of life's perfect hours, still kind of treasuring that moment (laughs) where he got to eat. But it's very memorable, isn't it? It's your first Mm. fast. And, you know, it was a big one. And uh, not only did he get to break the fast after so long, there were many life lessons that were learned, as we'll come to. But also it was a beautiful feast as well to break the fast, wasn't it? Uh, The Swami's homecoming. I remember when I did my first fast and um, I waited till midnight. (laughs) <laughs> the following <laughs> one minute past midnight i had everything ready as soon as the struck oh. the clock struck i started 
shoveling the food. It's relatable. Not not really in the spirit of the occasion, but uh, that's what I did. But we all start somewhere, I suppose. You do. And, you know, like, you know, you, you've done the 24 hours in effect then. And some days are like that. I also get those times where I just... I'm not in that level of consciousness yet where I can wait until breakfast or noon and you know that's okay we have got to start somewhere that's yes. true yes. um but this is very um what do you call it? inspiring and this talk as well is I'm sure anyone's listening also feeling uh, in zestful vigor to fast perhaps yeah Chris yeah I should say just on the sort of topic about real life say practical roadblocks and you know different bits and pieces that you know people on the yoga path and doing fasting might actually come across um i think it's often perceived that sort of it's a way of almost like self-punishment or something there's some kind of sort of frowned upon um attitude from say general populace on fasting and especially especially when it comes to spiritual practice um and there's possibly some truth in that in in some ways where um, the Buddha, you know, when he was uh, Gautama Buddha, when he was doing fasting, he went to many extremes to the point where he was essentially making himself suffer. And um, I believe then when he became enlightened, the first thing he did, he said, let's eat. And he had this sort of joyous moment with his disciples. They were all confused. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, we're starving ourselves <laughs> For you, like you've been telling us to do this, like is this not <laughs> like a way of suffering? Like, and maybe that's that story, or there's some kind of there's something in the subconscious or in the psyche there. Whenever you talk about it, but actually, um, as Guruji's sort of indicating here, like it's one of life's perfect hours that he was able to, you know, embrace going back to eating. And there's some, there's great joy in eating, and it's something that we should all embrace and not sort of try to you know look at it as if it's some evil evil or wrong and you know it's all good that we're conquering you know this plan as, as you were saying Priyank. um but it, i think it's just important to note that guruji's being very light-hearted about it here and that's probably how we should be as opposed to you know too much on the sort of old katama side of things mm. yeah guruji's very balanced isn't he and that's what's so great about this path i feel um you know we we eat for the body and to keep it healthy right and it's no bad thing that's good god gave us this little vessel so we've got to look after it but equally it's not being so uh wrapped up i guess in the consciousness of the body having the most importance um <clears throat> but interestingly uh we're going to talk about eating now because as guruji was intensely absorbed in his meal as he writes it which um, is a very telling couplet of words. He obviously has that consciousness of, you know, being so much in, in the body and the food as, um, as he is. He says that he's also noticed that the Swami isn't eating like he's eating, and he's actually eating quite absentmindedly. And he says he was apparently above my gross pleasures. And... Um, yeah, something I was curious about was eating absentmindedly. It's it's quite a, a, a curious topic because um, 
there's you know a certain school of thought that you know we give the food to God, right? We do our prayers on SRF and we, we offer God the food. Um, and I know that the monks and the nuns they eat in silence to really give, you know, reverence to to God and spend that time. And I remember a talk with one of the sisters. I can't remember which one it was now, um, but she mentioned it was very briefly. But she said, you know, you actually absorb more nutrients in your food if you concentrate on it while you're eating, and that always really stuck with me. Um, so then it kind of begs the question: Okay, eating absent-mindedly, how does this fit in all together? Um, Priyank, what do you make of it? Yeah, I need to work on that. I uh, mm. take eating for granted. I shouldn't do that. But the one of the monks recently said, um, he said, um, before eating, um, obviously we do the prayer for food, um, which uh, which is um, Heavenly Father. Bless this food, make it holy, let no impurity of greed define it. The food comes from thee, it is for thy temple, spiritualize it, spirit to spirit goes. We are the petals of thy manifestation, thou art the flower, its life, beauty and loveliness. Permeate our souls with the fragrance of your presence. It's so much more than food in that prayer isn't mm. it and that's i think is the subtle um reason why we're doing it um and he but the, the monk also said he actually spends he before like the meal's ready everything's ready knife and fork you know plates ready to be eaten he'll spend two minutes in silence just with the food before even starting to eat and I thought, wow, that's a complete polar opposite of what I do. <laughs> Whereas I finish that, I usually do this prayer or the shortened version of it. The shortened version is um, give us food, health and prosperity for the body, efficiency for the mind, and above all, thy love and wisdom for the soul. So that's the short version. So I usually do one of those two, usually the long version. But as soon as I've said the last amen, there's a, there's a piece of food is already in my like and going <laughs> the trajectory is towards my mouth there's not this extra two minute period that um, one of the brothers um, you know had and uh interestingly another another of the monks um they were they we had this uh meeting um during the last career visit we had this meeting with the coordinators and um and i was fasting that day as a complete fast and then and then they were asking me, oh, you should come for the dinner. Um, I said, no, I'm, I'm not, I, I can come, but it's going to be rude if I'm not eating. So I won't, I won't come. And then at, at the end of the meeting, brother said, oh, you're coming to the dinner. I said, um, brother, I've got, um, I'm fasting today. And he's, I don't, doesn't matter. You're coming to the dinner. I was like, okay, fine. I guess Guruji wants me to come to the dinner. So um, we went to the dinner and I was just, um, watching everyone and he was he was mocking me for not even playfully mocking me but always had his arms arms around me and things like that so it's quite nice for to fast whilst um others are eating as well uh, it's not like that I um I felt um like it was rude of them because that's the kind of thing isn't it you, usually like, usually when in etiquette you can't eat if someone's not eating but it's uh with family it's uh that's not necessarily the case and that's what it felt like 
And they all, it's also, we also understand, don't we? Because we're all on the path and we know Guruji's teachings. It's like, yeah, good for you. You yeah, stick to exactly, it. Exactly. Or we hope anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think you wanted to, yeah, yeah, probably use it as an example for the others to do fasting yeah. and things like that. Yeah, and, you know, shows great zeal from you as well, being able to be there. Talking mm. of temptation, there's, there's <laughs> a whole temptation in itself, a meal with a monk, mm. you know. Um, yeah, good for you. Um, sticking with it. Um, so yeah, we have um, Guruji here with Swami, and he finds himself alone with him in his study. And then he asks him, you know, well, why aren't you hungry before? And he tells us that he spent the last four days without any food or drinks. He was completely fasting for four days. Um, and he says, "I never eat on trains." filled with the heterogeneous vibrations of worldly people. Strictly, I observe the Shastric rules for monks of my particular order. This one just hit home for me. I eat a lot on trains. <laughs> um, it's just one of those unfortunate things where life is just sometimes as it is, and I find myself sometimes having to have my breakfast on the train or... You know, have a have some food, and I've been really trying recently to not do that. And then we come across this chapter, and <laughs> I have this particular section. So um, I was like, oh, okay, I'm getting the message. So I tried practicing this this week. I thought, right, can I do a whole week of only eating at home, never eating while I was out? Didn't quite make it, unfortunately. But the days where I did do it. I did notice a difference, I have to say, because, you know, we're, the environment, it does play such a big part. And, you know, especially if you're eating, you know, around a lot of movement, I notice that, the, the you know, the food goes in faster and I, it's less, um, has less of a divine quality to it, I guess. But when I'm at home and you know, I can pray over my food and I can take some time and I can really appreciate that moment, um, yeah, it's very different. So I'm going to try and keep practicing this um, and, yeah, just eat at home. But we shall see. Um, but before we move on to talk about the footnote, because there's a footnote about what this Shastric rule or rules are, um, Priyank found a lovely paragraph on the wisdom of fasting from Guruji which would be lovely to read out. So, yes, from the resurrect, uh, the um, uh, the the book Journey to Self Realization, and the chapter Resurrection, Renewing, and Transforming Your Body, Mind, and Spirit. I'll take it away. Another, excuse me. Another thing: every week you should fast one day on orange juice to rest the internal organs. You won't die, you will live. Once a month, fast two or three days consecutively, living only on orange juice. There is so much bondage to matter, of fear to miss a meal. It is so evident we are not living by the Spirit of God. As Jesus Christ spoke about, by uh, living by the Word of God, man shall not give, live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Resurrect yourself from this bad mental habit of overeating and 
palate slavery. When you fast on orange juice, it scrubs every cell. At least once a month, you should give a thorough house cleaning to your body by fasting. Do not let poison accumulate in your system. When you suddenly become sick, you hasten to pray to God for healing. Don't let yourself get sick, says the sick man coughing. <laughs> right person to read this one out. The great way to maintain health and the simplest is to fast an orange juice one day every week and for two or three days consecutively. Awesome. Good, a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you, about you guys, but when after fasting the next day, like little tiny spots in my forehead that would like vanish. It'd be like completely smooth and my skin would feel like really like supple and my joints would feel good and my stomach just feels like it's been renewed completely. So it's all like really, really nice, isn't it? The impact, the physical impact mm. of um, fasting. But um, here, you know, he, he, he emphasized this a couple of times in this reading where it says um it's like it scrubs every cell give your body you know give your body a, a break a chance to you know heal itself all these kind of things he he said um in 2016 um there was a, a japanese scientist called yoshinori oshumi who for his discoveries on the mechanisms of autophagy um, won the nobel prize in science and uh, it's, autophagy is this thing where essentially um, he, he discovered that the, the benefits of long-term fasting is that stem cells are generated and then that then they become obviously healing apparatus for all the various elements and uh, can actually cure cancer. He was, he's, uh, he's proven. So there you go. Um, and the other thing is like Russians have been fasting for millennia apparently and um there's um they've got this um uh, scientific study which shows that um when um when you fast um weak weak cellular matter can't handle fasting healthy cells can handle it so what happens is after a certain like prolonged phase of without food and water it has to be without water as well um the the weak cells die away um, and then what happens is they the body turns those cells um, into this really pure form of water, and then it can so basically, basically the body consumes itself from the the, the weak um, and the you know the negative cellular matter in your body and produces this really pure um, water, which is like ten times better than the regular water that we would have. Um, because it's like self-generated and it's yeah it's got these qualities so the Russians have been doing it for a long time and now it's you know scientifically there's probably thousands of papers on the benefits of fasting and obviously religions of, or across the world have been doing it for a long long time eh? yeah you, you you say there's probably thousands of papers on fasting there there are sure and that's what I, I love about this subject is We've said it so many times that a lot of what Guruji has said ages incredibly well, you know, and he says things very simply, you know, in in in, um, uh, in ways that 
doesn't go into it in massive detail, although he does uh, to a reasonable degree on fasting. Um, but science is catching up. Essentially, we have the instruments to be able to observe this now. And there's a link uh, that I just shared with you guys, the National Library of Medicine, the National Center for Biology Information. If anybody wants to Google it, you'll find it pops up first when you search the subject on mindful eating. And it talks about how stress and digestion uh, and mindfulness is sort of um, linked. And it talks about all the benefits of it. So I think, you know, we I wasn't taught this when I was at school, but I think in the Western world, there's given that the state of health in many, many of the countries, you know, in the US, the UK, and so on, this will probably become part and parcel, you know, this idea of mindfulness. Um, Guruji talks about relaxation with meditation, how that's essential. And that's what I think about it when I think about being mindful in the way that you eat, you're relaxing, pushing out all the ideas of duty and stress from the mind, and you're focusing on the food. And so your stress levels probably drop if you're a little bit stressed thinking about work during the day or something. And this all comes into play with what the research is showing in the, in the Western world now, which is very much unrelated to spiritualism, mm. which I, I love because we talked about it coming f- full circle, essentially. Mm. Science is catching up, isn't it, with mm. what I've known for a long time. Um, I feel like I should also say that um, Guruji, as ever, is very balanced with all things. And, you know, he he does say, you know, it does depend on your current health, whether you should be fasting or not. So just in case there is anyone listening who is, you know, the body is not so healthy right now, you're thinking, oh, well, I should fast. Um, yeah, maybe you just have a look at what Kuruji says about that, um, just in case. But anyway, back to the footnote, the footnote that we are on. Um, so um the shastric order what is this chris can you tell us oh. yes pertaining to the, yes pertaining to the shastras literally means the sacred books comprising four classes of scripture the shruti smriti prana and tantra these comprehensive tre- uh, treaties treatises Disease, yes, um, cover every aspect of religious and social life and the fields of law, medicine, architecture, art, etc. The Shrutis are the directly heard or revealed scriptures, the Vedas. The Smritis are remembered law, were finally written down in remote part in the in a remote past as the world's longest epic poem the Mahabharata, and the Ramayana. Puranas, the 18 in number, are literally literally ancient allegories. Tantras literally mean rites or rituals. These treatises convey, convey profound truths under a veil of detailed symbolism. Treatises, it's a new word. It's very hard to say, isn't it? <laughs> I had to read it twice. <laughs> yeah, I have to say I do. I do love the footnotes because they give such context and so much understanding, and you know, tidbits of information and facts. And I love learning, so the, this kind of thing is is great. So I do enjoy reading the footnotes. Um, but yes, yeah, not much to discuss on that. But I, th- I thought it'd be nice just to share it. Um, yeah, Priyank. Yeah, I think you you raised the 
point do you think Dianenda had mm. read all of the Shastras? Um, that would be one epic undertaking. <laughs> <laughs> epic, epic. Um, so I highly doubt it, um, especially mm. he, he was not, you know, he's not a scholar, literary scholar, I don't think. Um, but he's very young as well. It would take probably multiple lifetimes to go through all of the Shastras in Indian Indian history. Um, but he would have, because of, um, as I mentioned, he was probably a, you know, Brahmin from a Brahmin family. Um, so he probably went to, or he probably had tutors, uh, Sanskrit tutors, um, and, his, and his family would probably do lots of recitals of um, during various parts, times of the year. So he would have uh, heard or being able to recite the Shastras more than uh, most of the population so he would have been you might classify him as you might would, would classify him as a kind of expert in the field but uh, to say he's read it all is uh, one heck of a statement um, so I highly highly doubt it but yeah. never know never know um, I think one of the one of the um, rare rare souls that you could say had was like the Adi Shankaracharya because he then essentially, because the reason you say that is because he reorganized all of them essentially, and to be able to reorganize, you'd have to have read it all. <laughs> so he um, he's one of the few that you could probably, with some conviction, say has. And as we know from earlier on in the book, you know, the biggest lesson is you, we don't have to have read everything to live it. The most important thing is that we live the truths, right? Um, so yes, um, the Swami then goes on to tell Okunda why he was eating so absentmindedly, and apparently it's because you know there were some organizational matters and problems that he was thinking on while he was eating, and um, he says, "Tonight at home, I neglected my dinner. What's the hurry? Tomorrow I'll make a point to have a proper meal." And I know I've certainly done this. Um, quite a few times more recently and uh, you know some of my very caring friends Lauren you know make sure you eat a meal mm -hmm. and of course there's a balance to all these things right if we keep neglecting then obviously that's a whole other ball game but yeah it's uh it's it's very clear that he's way beyond the bounds of the body isn't he mm, definitely um or he's working towards that or he's saying the mm. affirmations that would lead him to yes that. um He's saying all the very most profound things, isn't he? Um, so profound that um, you almost have to be enlightened to um, to fully live that experience. Probably, obviously, a lot of it's easier to say than do. Um, but here, Mukunda, earlier on, he noticed that uh, Dhananda was eating absent-mindedly, and here Dhananda kind of confirms that. He says. Um, I today I neglected my dinner. Tomorrow I'll make it a point to have a proper meal. So we know it was nine o'clock plus, right? So um, one of the Western sciences now they tell you not to go to sleep on a full meal, don't they? Um, and here it would imply that he's doing a similar thing. He's probably had a very, very even though all these delicacies were prepared, he probably ate something very small or only very little bit of everything that was there rather than a hearty meal as Mukunda 
did and remembers for the rest of his life, even even when he was writing the autobiography. So here's a good lesson for us, i.e. if it's late and you're hungry, don't go all out. Just uh, have a little bit and uh, satisfy the needs, the, the, the bare minimum of the needs of the human body and uh, the rest will be taken care of because the opposite, if we did the opposite where we did, you know, we responded to how hungry we were, we were with the amount of quantity we ate, then it, you'd probably overeat and that's, you'll have a terrible, terrible sleep <laughs> and you'll have a terrible meditation certainly before bed and even the next morning's meditation will be pretty bad. So all around, um, it's not good to overeat before sleeping. So that's a good lesson. Fun fact, I heard this about Queen Elizabeth II, that she actually ate very sparse, sparsely, very sparsely. So, Which one is the second, yeah. sorry? The one who passed. Okay. The longest yeah. serving monarch in the history of monarchism. Exactly, yeah, 90, 96 years of age. But um, <clears throat> I think it was my mum actually noted this about her, that apparently she really did not indulge, even though she had a spread of food in front of her. She was only having maybe sampling um, parts that she would need heavily. So don't, don't posh people only have like real, they're only allowed to have like really <laughs> small, minuscule portions. You have to just like with a, enough fork in very posh ways, put, putting the pea on top of the fork, only one at a time. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like six knives and forks as well. So you can't just like go all out with one of them. Like when that one's finished, they've got to go, you know. <laughs> um, here it's in Brazil, as it's meant to be, which is the other way around and use it almost as a shovel. What was that? Um, what was that? In Brazil, they, they think it's very unusual the way British people would actually use the cutlery, you know, the knife and fork, <laughs> by skewering and kind of placing on top, whereas they, they use it more like a shovel <laughs> over here, scoop it like a spoon. Anyway, oh. we, dig we digress. <laughs> that's a, that'll be a whole other podcast wouldn't it how certain uh, cultures and places eat food and the cutlery but alas we're on all to of a yogi so that will have to uh, be parked for some other time um but yeah so he strongly makes this comment about you know not being so bothered about missing a meal which means then he probably would have been more or less fasting for five days rather than four um anywho and then Guruji says that at the time, this shame just spread within him like a suffocation. That's massive, isn't it? Definitely. Found a um, good reading on this topic. Mm. Um, do you want to go through it now? Again, yes. from the journey of self-realization. Um, and this one, this chapter is increasing your magnetism. And he's, he's written in one of the sections. But why be so preoccupied year after year in adorning only the outer form. America seems very much a place where people concentrate on keeping up their outer image in order to hide their age. I have seen many people looking 40 who were really 60, and that is good. Why shouldn't you keep the body fit and attractive? You should make your body whatever you want it to be. Why be careless and let it go to the pot, as they say? Watch your weight. If your form is disproportionate, it is most likely because of laziness or overeating. Some people diet or fast once a day. Sorry, some people diet or fast one day, 
and then more than make up for it the next day. Get plenty of exercise and learn to be more careful about what you eat. And this is similar to what Mukunda did, isn't it? He fasted and then more than made up for it <laughs> the minute the fast was um, over. And it is a complete opposite of um, what Dayananda has done, because not only did he fast five times the length as Lauren has calculated, he also ate very little and absent-mindedly. Mm. That's another lesson for me as well. Sometimes I find after I've fasted, I do have this, you know, hunger. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, Not alone. Yeah, no, right? <laughs> it's, um, it's all too easy just to keep piling the food in. But, yeah. Chris? Yeah, our, our brothers and sisters that do Ramadan, um, they mm. often, moving to London, uh, met many people that observed Ramadan and um, often they would say the same thing, which is, I think it's when the sun goes down, right? They're, they're able to eat for, for, is it 40 days? Full 40 days, quite, it's quite a length of time, I know. Mm. Um, that they would sort of stuff their face whenever, whenever they could. And I kind of thought, well, that's probably what Gurdjie is talking about here, you know. Um, you know, there's probably a reason, certain certain reason for the tradition, but um, maybe we, we lose our way uh, with it from time to time. It's good to remind ourselves of of why. But yeah, I, I often I was told friends of mine would sort of stuff their face at all all hours in the in the morning or nighttime. I thought, yeah, it's probably um, not doing you any good. You're kind of constantly cancelling out all the benefits. Yeah, I did. I did Ramadan once with my Muslim housemate. Oh. Yeah. How was that for you? Yeah, it was good. It's good. Just uh, we used to eat one minute before sunrise, and then that would get you through the day. Because <laughs> oh. yeah. you can't read, yes. you can't eat during yeah. the sun, sun being out. Yeah, oh. it's lovely that you did it with him as well. Mm. Not alone then. Yeah. Um, and then he ate he ate vegetarian food as well most of that month. Oh. Whereas um, he's obviously Muslims usually eat meat. But uh, so we did a bit of a hybrid scenario. We took wow. some of some of uh, Indian sides. Well, that's true friendship, isn't it? When you can mm. both help each other on the way. Mm. Yeah. Um, and back to the chapter. So Guruji um, then says, so the Swami just made this remark about, you know, neglecting dinner and that was fine. He's not bothered about it, basically. Um, and... He describes the past day of his fast being torture and he hadn't forgotten about it. So he asks, this, well, he doesn't really ask, he kind of states, here. he said, Swamiji, I am puzzled about following your instruction. Suppose I never ask for food and nobody gives me any. I should starve to death. And then he replies, die then. And he says, this alarming council split the air. I'd have to say it's very, very like that, isn't it? I remember when I read this, it was like, whew, yeah. Mm. What more can you say? Um, and then he says, die if you must, Mukunda. Never believe that you live by the power of food and not by the power of God. He who has created every form of nourishment, he who has bestowed appetite, will inevitably see 
that his devotee is maintained. Do not imagine that rice sustains you, nor that money or men can support you. Could they aid if the Lord withdraws your life breath? They are his instruments merely. Is it by any skill of yours that food digests in your stomach? We're just going to pause there because, you know, he's really talking about the full dependency on God, isn't he? And that's what we're, well, I know personally I'm striving for, you know, is that full, full surrender, right? Mm. He's extended this um, die then energy and not relying on things. He said, mm. he said um, that don't, don't think that money you know money or men support you mm-hmm. which um so uh, that's obviously relying on god for all sources of not just your health but your wealth as well um and that's part of the prayer isn't it uh, the shortened version that i said give us food health and prosperity the body and that's that's in there isn't it because um, God is the one essentially that gives it to you, and and then he says later in this section he says, um, is it is it any skill of yours that food digests in your stomach? So he's saying also um, understand that um, the you know God uh, is responsible for virtually every one of your life energies mm. and the air that's in your lungs is you know from the, and the digestion that's happening because of the food that he's given you and the money he's given you to pry that food. (laughs) It's beautiful, isn't it? It's very touching. Yeah, well, and um, it's also that that notion of really giving it back to God, isn't it? And realising it is him, you know, as much as it seems like it's not, it it is. and there's a section in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 9, verse 27, uh, which I thought would be quite nice to read out. Whatever actions thou dost perform, O son of Gunti, Arjuna, whether in eating or in observing spiritual rites or in gift bestowing or in self-disciplining, dedicate them all as offerings to me. Oh. Yes. Um, yeah, Chris. I would say maybe Guruji already knew this, right? And he's sort of telling us this experience for our benefit. You know, he he had already, when he was younger, convinced a friend of his to escape and you know go to a different city. And I think it was with the blessing of his brother, right? And they didn't leave with any money. They left just a bit, and they, you know, jumped on a train and went to another city. And there was a uh, individual there that looked at him and took him in and gave him shelter and everything. And that was by God's grace. And that's that's what Guruji was stating. Like he had faith in uh, God's grace to take care of him. So, although Guruji here is sort of saying that he was shocked, you know, by this by these statements, he lived by this. Like he actually lived this mm-hmm. already. When he was much younger, um, and he led the way uh, for 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 previous stories that he shared with us. So, it's another reinforcement of that same message. Yeah, yeah. it's true. You know, when we really rely on God, He does support us. 
you know, I had quite a few instances in America when I was over there that, you know, it was really just me and him. And he, he always sustained us. And, um, yeah, Guruji really knows how to bring us this message, right? So, yeah, Chris, thank you for saying that because it's true. This, mm. this chapter really is for us, isn't it? To realize. Um, yeah. And then Swami carries on and uh, says, use the sword of your discrimination, Mukunda. Cut through the chains of agency and perceive a single cause. So again, he's going back to, you know, look at the root of it all, which is God, right? And, you know, use your discrimination. Don't be fooled by this, you know, Maya and, and delusion. Um, and it reminded me of uh, Matthew six thirty three when it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's true, isn't it? You know, see God first. We're always taught that God, God alone, God first. Hmm. Do you think, in some way, that Guruji is using the the wonderful method that you're using, Priyank, as well, with the uh, say <clears throat> desire not to be critical of others instead of using affirmations? And in a sense, when we're reading this, you know, to use the use the sword of your discrimination up through the chains of agency and perceive the single cause. And he goes on to say that, you know, he finds these words entertaining, uh, entering some deep marrow, and he, he goes on <clears throat> describing his experience of these words. That is what we are digesting ourselves, talking about, you know, consuming or eating. We are digesting that. We are the ones, you know, ha having that <clears throat> permeate our consciousness and subconsciousness. We are living that just as Guruji wants us to live that, as opposed to saying, hey, guys, you know, don't be idiots. You're living wrong. You know, do, do it this way. <clears throat> and of course, there's, you know, means and there's times for being direct and, you know, having more more of a sharp point. But I just got that impression when I was reading this, like, Guruji is, is willing us to like, kind of live through live through him um, by by using these, these persuasive, descriptive wording. Mm. Suggestion, power suggestion rather than thou shalt. Yes. Yeah. And it works, doesn't it? Because well, I know for me, you know, there's so many things even in this, you know, one or two paragraphs that I go, oh yeah, wow, mm. I I want to absorb that and you know apply it to my own life. So it's true. Um, he knows just how to speak to us, doesn't he? Mm. Uh, so, and similarly, the Swami knew what to say to Mukunda too, because Guruji says that, you know, when he spoke these words, it entered some deep marrow. And uh, he says, you know, that those past habits basically were, were gone and this delusion was, was gone. And um, he tasted the spirit's all sufficiency there and then. It's really the power of the word, isn't it? Truth just goes in um, and reveals spirit. And wow. Um, yeah. And then he says, in, oh, yeah, sorry, Prank. Yeah. yeah, he says there and then. Um, hmm. It's really, I feel like it's a really emphasized. It could be bold, isn't it? Because hmm. we read all these things and the lessons and, you know, and the talks that Guruji gives us. And 
most of the time it's just a case of smiling and nodding and maybe one you know one percent of the time you might really do what he's done here there and then i tasted the spirits all sufficiency but here he, like then and has made like seven or eight really profound points isn't he and he's essentially saying that he imbibed all of that and he so what is the difference between guruji and us right so even what truth spoken by even um someone that may not be as spiritually as advanced as him um you know in the grander scheme of things but he's spoken the truth all the same god has spoken through him and then he's like absorbed it and you know he's taken it and he's changed his his way of being straight away um whereas mm. we oh we have to work we have to churn <laughs> we have to hear it a million times and then go oh yeah maybe we yeah. should do that yeah that's true i mean there are some things i'm sure most of us have had you know you read something and it just goes Whew. um but something like this in this uh scope and you're right, Priyank, most of the time it is a, right, let's <laughs> let's try really hard. But, you know, that's, that's the point, isn't it? We just have to try our best. And um, that's all, that's that's our part, right? Um, and then Guruji finishes this little section um, saying that, you know, later on in his life when he was traveling ceaselessly and uh, there's much going on, the he said did occasion arrive to prove the serviceability of this lesson in the Banneras Hermitage? Mm. The serviceability of this lesson. And it reminds me of the lessons um that Guruji gives us, which I won't go into, but they mm. are serviceable in every aspect of life. Mm. And um even in even in autobiography, so many lessons. Right, which we can all apply. I feel like I've really got so much to take away from just this fourth section of the chapter. Um, So thank you for such a lovely, lovely time delving in. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Does anyone else have anything else before we go? I'm seeing shaking heads, so I will end it here. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for all that have watched or listened. And I will see you next time.